So what's the big problem with wealth creation? How do people like us, who didn't inherit a boatload of money, who are investing and building wealth from our own blood, sweat and tears, how do we invest in a way that gives us remarkable results and become financially free before retirement age? I don't know about you, but I am sick of hearing from wealth gurus and experts who don't walk their own talk and prescribe strategies that are a one-size-fits-all approach. For self-made people like you and me, I'm here to tell you that you don't need to be superhuman or already wealthy to reach financial freedom earlier than 65. This is the Alternative Investing Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. In today's episodes, I want to talk about how the world economies are genuinely under a lot of conflicting stress right now. Sands are shifting and in fact, I actually believe there is a sandstorm coming. So this begs the question, what can we do as investors about it? And how can we develop a higher immunity to these sorts of problems? Now, obviously, what can we do about the world economy? Probably not much, but there's a lot that we can do in order to protect ourselves and add immunity to a situation where a lot of people are really floundering. So if we look at what are some of the challenges in the market right now, financial hardship is definitely increasing as cost of living rises. The rental market seems to be spiraling out of control. It is stressful for renters, no question. And I'm seeing a lot of information and, you know, media reports on that side, but there's no question. It's also really stressful for investors and landlords, particularly those investors who have maybe just tried to enter the market over the last couple of years and now are feeling like they're up to their throat in, you know, high interest rate repayments, which maybe are a struggle to afford. And these aren't people who necessarily want to. To, you know, be mega wealthy. They're just trying to create a better financial future for themselves. So there's pain on both sides of the fence. The global economy is teetering on the edge and there is so much news about this. There's so much literature coming out. There's a lot of doom and gloom being reported out of the US right now. Um, certainly, Australia is following suit. But ultimately, if we could step back and really reflect on what is it that as investors we are really seeking right now? And number one, you know, we want to, you know, manage our wealth and finances in spite of rising cost of living. We want a way to kind of navigate the challenge in the housing market, which is putting a squeeze on both sides of the equation. And we want to understand how to ensure against, you know, future volatility, because ultimately what we all want is we want to have this great relationship with money. We want to be able to build wealth for our future selves without worrying about money in the now. So, if I were to articulate a couple of things in terms of how I have seen people evolve when it comes to generating more income as they earn more money. So, I'm going to say that again. I want to really unpack the way that I see people evolve when it comes to generating more active income. Now, these are the two ends of the spectrum. At one end, you've got the common experience that as your income grows, so too does lifestyle. And we've all seen that, particularly people who maybe don't come from money, but go into some kind of, you know, high paying job or business. There's a feeling of, well, I've earned it. I deserve it. There's also an underlying feeling of needing to prove 
to others, whether it's our family or friends or the world at large, that we've made it. Um, the best, um, I guess, exaggerated example of this is someone like your Mike Tyson, who earned something like three quarters of a million dollars during his boxing career and then pretty much lost the lot and had to start over. He was doing things like $100,000 a month in jewelry. He spent $400,000 on pigeons. Um, he bought big Siberian cats and lions and things like that. But he then later, after he lost it all, acknowledged that all of that was to kind of make himself feel better and prove to everyone who didn't believe in him that he'd made it, that he could do it. The other end of the spectrum, of course, is where you start off living very frugally. You start off living like a uni student and your sense of scarcity around money and wealth means you never fully break out of it. You know, the best example of someone famous that does that is someone like your Warren Buffett. Now, he's still living in the home that he bought 60 years ago. And, you know, some people may argue, well, he's perfectly happy and he may be, but there are others who live like a uni student well beyond the time in their lives when they could be kind of relaxing a bit and enjoying, but they have tremendous guilt around just spending money on themselves. So, they're the two ends of the spectrum and then obviously you have everything in between. But if we look at, you know, statistically what's happening right now, financial hardship, which is due to overspending and indebtedness, is rising globally. So, on that spectrum, clearly you've got people that are more down one end in terms of not really doing a good job of living within their means, not doing a good job of investing in their future self, more concerned about enjoyment in the now. Now, the thing to understand is doing that, living in the now, creating financial hardship is, you know, has impacts, has, has knock on effects, child development, health issues, violence, drug addiction, gambling, all of those things create a really toxic environment and have ripple effects that can essentially um, flow on beyond your own world. Right now, the way that the market is evolving, there is um, allegedly statistics which uh, verify that one in three people feel money is a significant cause of stress in their lives. One in four people believe that they are struggling to make ends meet. And financial hardship continues to be more prevalent in, in rural and regional and especially among young and low-income earners. Now, the most common types of financial hardship is around not having enough money for emergencies, followed by not having enough money for food and basic necessities or paying bills. Now, you know, the reason I'm sharing that with you is that this concept of living within your means is something that is uh, not being valued as much as it used to be. The number one KPI that I think you have to get a handle on, particularly if you're a younger or newer investor, is this concept of lifestyle burn rate. Now, I want to give you a quick recap. I've, I've covered this a lot in past podcasts. There are so many different definitions of what a lifestyle burn rate is, but the way that I like to look at it is to keep it really simple. I like to look at it as an annualized KPI and KPI being, sorry, apologies for the jargon, key performance indicator. And it's basically saying, what do you spend per annum, total spendings, everything divided by your after-tax household income, your net after-tax household income. So, in other words, if you get paid, let's call it $100,000 and then after tax, you're only getting 60, then your household income after tax is 60. If you're spending 50,000 out of your 60,000, 
then your lifestyle burn rate is 50,000 divided by 60,000, whatever percentage that works out. Apologies, I can't do the mental arithmetic, but you get the idea. Now, what I've witnessed over 20 years of coaching lots of people in this space is that more people often than not have a rising lifestyle burn rate. And that's perfectly natural when you take on a partner or a spouse or you have children or your you know requirement to financially support others expands, your lifestyle burn rate is obviously going to go up. However, what I've also seen is that the desire to track it, the need to be mindful about spending actually diminishes. So, those two things become at odds as time passes. But here's the real important thing to think about is that regardless of your level of affluence or wealth, regardless of your net worth or how many properties you have, the impacts of a more expensive world affects everyone. So, the question today is how does your lifestyle burn rate impact your personal risk position? Now, living within your means and having the ability to set aside surplus funds for investing is like driving a lightweight car that actually allows you to be more nimble, use less energy and accelerate faster. So, harness more power effectively. Now, your ability to get by on less means that you are automatically less vulnerable to the rising cost of living. So, for example, if you are thinking about interest rates on holding property, whether it's your own home or investment properties, stronger cash reserves are always going to give you some level of protection. Now, I know that may seem like it's a bleedingly obvious statement, but I'll give you an extreme example. I had a client who liked to hold at least six months cash buffer against every single investment property they had. Now, that meant that their own personal lifestyle was exceptionally frugal until that position was in place. But the reason for it is that they wanted to know that if the property went vacant, if interest rates rose, if anything went wrong, that they had enough money to cover all expenses for at least six months per property. Now, that meant that they had an extraordinary amount of cash reserves sitting against each loan account. But I can see that that particular individual with the risk profile that they had, that was necessary for them. So, it's, it's always going to be unique depending on who you are. But the point I'm making is that living on less gives you more money to fuel your wealth. It's when the chips are down that more opportunities are even more abundant. You know, you'll have heard quotes like, you know, the market can remain irrational longer than you can stay solvent. Or another cliche is, it's really hard to catch a falling knife. So, it's it's impossible to know when to enter the market. But the biggest frustration that I have heard investors make time and time again is the ability to see opportunities everywhere during a crisis, but not having the capital or the ability to take action. Now, this has happened to me plenty of times, which is why I can talk about this topic from a place of authority. If you look over history to the times where there have been great wealth transfers, and they often happen during the the greatest moments of crisis, the Great Depression, the global financial crisis, all of those times, there were massive transfers of wealth. The people who were able to take advantage, the ultra wealthy, did so because when everybody else was barely surviving, they made calculated bets that paid off big time. Now, as mere mortals, um, you may say something like, well, I'm not in a position to make a billion dollars, but you know, maybe not even a position to make a million dollars. But the point of the matter is us as mere mortals, as investors, we can still put ourselves in a position where we can take small bets 
that have a huge impact on our overall wealth position. And of course, the final consideration here is that if you lower your lifestyle burn rate, the greater your ability to build liquidity. And liquidity during times of high volatility and uncertainty is what gives us the ultimate protection that we're all seeking. So number one, emergency buffers are essential. Um, most people give lip service to this and worse, often only hold enough cash to get them through a few weeks at best. I had a client who was earning an insane amount of money, multiple millions of dollars a year. And when you looked at their bank balances, it was pretty much going to last them six weeks, even though that was quite a significant amount of money for them with their overheads, their mortgages, the lifestyle burn rate they adopted. They were in a position where they could barely last six weeks. I had another client, and this is a a kind of different example, who was paying about $40,000 a year in insurances income protection, life insurance, permanent disability. Now, those are all important insurances, but they realized that as they had started to increase their own cash reserves, they were almost able to self-insure. So, they were able to start gradually reducing down their insurance premiums. Now, where I want to go with all of this is that if you want to not just survive a downturn, but give yourself a competitive edge and manage the risk, then you need to manage your lifestyle burn rate. It is not optional. So there are three things that I want to leave you with today, which I think will help you understand what you can do from a pragmatic perspective. Number one, the question I'm asking you is when did you last look at your lifestyle burn rate? Now, you know, maybe when you heard my podcast or you've heard about this concept in the past, you measured it at that point in time. But given the current environment, it is really important that you be reflecting on that lifestyle burn rate almost on a monthly basis. And the reason for that is that, as I said before, sands are shifting rapidly. The cost of living has gone up significantly. Now, even though we're hearing rumors that the cost of food is stabilizing and there's all these other things that seem to be relatively stable, interest rates are continuing to skyrocket. So, our overall lifestyle burn rate may be increasing, not because we're making any other extravagant decisions, but because of that. So, that's number one. Get really crystal clear about where your burn rate is. And at this point, I would almost say to do it monthly. Um, When we're in boom times, as I've said before, the need to monitor your lifestyle burn rate has been less, particularly when we were in a low inflationary environment. But right now, it is essential to keep a finger on the pulse of that. Now, There's not much we can do about rising interest rates, but if we can look at how much money we're spending on luxuries and other discretionary earnings, then we can start to manage those a little more effectively. The second thing I'm asking you to do is get real and commit. Now, if this is a little bit of a slap across the face, apologies, but keeping perspective during a times of crisis is really important. And what I would say to you above all else is, keep a level head, remind yourself that everything moves in cycles. We're not going to be stuck in this high inflationary rate forever. We're not going to be stuck in a high interest rate cycle forever. Um, So, what we're really trying to do is put ourselves in the best possible position to not only survive, but actually go beyond survival and actually position to take advantage of opportunities as they rise. Now, the only way you're going to be able to do that is if you dig deep, don't freak out, get real and commit to stewardship above enjoyment today. 
And I say that with a, you know, obviously don't starve yourself, but even if it's only for a short period of time, and let's call it six months. And the best example I can give you of this is in my own family. A few years ago, my sister decided to build a house. As things goes with a lot of building projects, the the cost of construction completely blew out and was way more than they were expecting. And so, they set themselves a challenge. They said, what if we made the decision to not spend a single dollar on discretionary enjoyment for ourselves. And they meant just, you know, husband and wife now and, you know, see how long we could do it. And they sort of set it up as a bit of a game and and a challenge on that level. And effectively what ended up happening was they moved through six months without spending a single dollar on themselves. And what they learned from that experience was that, in fact, a lot of their discretionary spending was stuff that they didn't really care about anyway. So, this concept of get real and commit doesn't necessarily have to be a painful decision. It can be a decision that you feel really empowered by. And I can tell you now, that sense of having control over incoming and outgoing expenditures is one that gives you a massive sleep at night factor. So, that's number two. Get real and commit. Do the hard work to work out what you really need and what you don't. And then the third and final thing that I'm going to suggest you do is number one, look across your assets and expenses and identify where cash buffers are running too thin. So, this is a specific exercise, particularly if you are already an investor. Now, you might find yourself in a position where you can't do anything. You have got very little wriggle room. You are already up to here with just managing your day-to-day. Now, there's two choices around that. Number one, you have to either increase your income and potentially means taking on a second job or finding ways to earn more money. Or number two, it means really putting things under the microscope and working out how to make things easier for yourself, which really leads back to question two, or sorry, not question two, point number two. So, this third concept of look at where cash buffers are running thin is a really, really important one and not often given a lot of attention. So, there's a lot to digest in today. The thing to understand above all else is we want to be investors that don't just thrive when market conditions are good. We need to get into a defensive position. We need to understand where our money's flowing. We need to prize stewardship above all else right now. And even if you're in the position where you can't take on more investments now because you need to batten down the hatches, then just name that and take the necessary actions to protect yourself. Anyway, guys, um, as always, it's lovely having these conversations with you. I am really enjoying the emails that I'm getting asking me to go deeper on specific topics. So, for the person who requested this, I hope that was helpful and I really look forward to connecting with you in the near future. Take care. You've been listening to the Alternative Investing Podcast. If you're feeling frustrated that despite doing everything right in the property investing playbook and you're no closer to financial freedom, then head on over to incosiwealth.com to learn more about how you can use alternative investments to catapult your investing income and blend strategies to shave decades off your timeline to financial freedom. See you on the next episode.